This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Before we get into this most excellent episode, a little advert from me. I'm passionate about interiors and make no apologies for loving a bold, brave and beautiful interior. And this is why I set up my online interior design school, a place to share with you everything I know about creating mouth-watering interiors so you can go on to design a home that you are truly proud of and reflects your individual style. Now, I'm a strong believer that interior design should be creative, inspiring and, well, above all, fun. And a little bit of know-how goes a very long way when it comes to creating quite complex room schemes. Now, here's the good bit. I'm currently running a 30% discount on my course, Bold, Brave and Beautiful Interiors, for the whole of October. Here I cover the maximus principles, show you how to make bolder style statements and blend colour and pattern for maximum impact. So why not grab the discount today? You can then start the course whenever you are ready. You simply need to head over to the website courses.sophierobinson.co.uk and select Bold, Brave and Beautiful Interiors. Now on with the pod, fellow maximalists out there. You're going to love this one. Bossy. Yeah, I'm bossy. I don't care. I do not have a problem with it. I'm being assertive because I really need a wee. So I'm going to read this line. Am I just going? This is what you like when you need a wee. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? Cross your legs. Deep breath. I have crossed my legs. Right, I'm going. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. 
And today we are joined by a really fabulous guest. He was trained as a fine artist and then went on to become the UK's most recognisable interior designer and much loved TV personality. And when I say personality, I mean personality. He is, of course, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. He flounced into our living rooms and indeed our hearts in the 1990s with Changing Rooms, the original home makeover show. And well, he never really left. And now he has a brand new book out celebrating his love of maximalism. It is called, quite brilliantly, More, More, More. Lawrence, welcome to The Great Indoors. I loved every minute of that. <laughs> that I feel the country's most recognised interior designer, too small. I think we should go yes. into planetary there. And in fact, this is my real focus for 2024 is to take it beyond planet Earth into other less enlightened solar systems where things like minimalism and grey are apparently still holding sway. Yes. Well, apart from Mars, very red on Mars. I mean, that's giving you quite a backdrop to work against, isn't it, already? It is. You see, this is one of the reasons why I do all the work I do for the Blackpool Illuminations, because there's a point in the year when the illuminations go on where my work is visible from space. <laughs> I think there's plenty of your projects that have probably been visible from space. If we really Almost certainly. Yeah, most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. those on the early days of changing rooms. They so were. Just... Well, listen, that was the thing. It was tough love. You know, we were we were faced with a nation who had no, absolutely no understanding of how an interior could be used to reflect personality. And this is 94. I mean, this is such an incredibly long time ago. Um, there was this sort of still the vestigial death rattle of the British class system that kept people, um, you know, totally focused on this sense that somehow posh people had good taste, but everybody else didn't. Now, 25 years later, 26 years later, we've become so sort of separated from how everything was before changing rooms really shook everyone by the lapels and said, listen, you can do things your own way. You can have fun with it. It was always quite confrontational. I mean, one of the bizarre things was then making the American series, Trading Spaces, where it was very much um, genetically modified to be as confrontational as possible. You know, you were, you were deliberately starved of any real information about your contributors in the hope that you would get it disastrously wrong. The thing about Changing Rooms UK, Changing Rooms the original, it was just so earnestly, optimistically, kind of rather foolishly conceived that somehow things would turn out right in the end. And I think that that was, that was the thing that people really enjoyed about it. They loved the fact that it was always on a knife edge. Will it be great or will it be shite? And also, everyone had an opinion. I think that That's was the it. thing as well, is you could have your whole family on the sofa and everyone mm. would have a different opinion. And I think we were. I remember quite in the clutches of beige in the 1990s. I remember it was sort of the IKEA era, the chuck out your chips, mm. everything was quite Scandi flat pack. And then you guys bounced on the screen mm. with leopard print and zebra print and chandeliers and tango orange and all kinds of wonderful visual delights. And then as, as a setup of you and Linda and, mm. no, who were the original? Graham. Anna. Graham Wynn. It was Graham Anna and Anna. Yeah. 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 You were also very different as well in your approach. And I think it opened up people's ideas that there well, wasn't I mean, one route to follow. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the original casting was genius because it was basically a carry-on film. And there was Andy, who was definitely Sid James. But, you know, if you sort of track the nation's aesthetic pulse you know, in the 80s, you had this incredible explosion of, of over-ornamentation, you know, and then you hit this absolute monastic 
shaky depths in the early 90s. And then suddenly, yes, we emerge in the mid 90s and the pulse rate goes up and up and up and up and up. And then it falls almost immediately. We hit the 21st century because of this sudden obsession. Property stopped being about personality. It stopped being about what you could do to uh, where you lived. It suddenly became obsessed with how much it was worth, with value. Mm. Um, and so you've got all the, you know, you, you've got all the make-underers, like Phil and Kirsty and Sarah Beanie. And you say, oh, I can't quite pronounce these words without a little patch. <laughs> 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 a little bit of cat sick about them, a bit of dry, dry rasp. But yeah, I mean, it was all that kind of, you know, make my, um, make my house worth twice as much by um, really redacting it. And this is the big thing about, about, you know, the sudden, and it is quite sudden, um, nationwide interest in, in maximalism. I mean, you know, we've all known maximalism as a term has been around uh, for a while. It's a really irritating term as far as I'm concerned because it is literally just anti-minimalism. But lockdown was unbelievably crucial in, in, in all of this. Um, people who had been more than happy to occupy incredibly neutral spaces, suddenly they were trapped in a room with all of that toot. And actually when you saw it every morning and there was no escape, there were no... You couldn't go to work. You couldn't go clubbing. You couldn't go on holiday. When you saw how insubstantial, how unnourishing all of that stuff was, people just started going, oh, my God, I, I've become something awful. I'm, I'm trapped in an old people's home. And suddenly social media explodes with hashtag maximalism where um, because you could you could order stuff in. That was the thing is you could you could do take, take away interior design. You could get wallpaper from Wallpaper Direct. You could get paint coming in from Dulux or being cured or whatever so you could suddenly do something absolutely antithetical to what you had as a way of really just slapping yourself around the aesthetic chops and people did people painted it blue green they put kitten plates on the wall they you know got chintzy sofas um colorful cushions all of this kind of stuff anything that was the antithesis of the understatement that they felt they'd had to buy into up until um the point of covid because this is a street style. You know, this is a style that's not coming from designers. This is the moment where I completely and utterly burn my career into tatters because all the way through, I'm saying, whatever you do, don't listen to designers. Don't listen to aesthetic autocrats. Don't listen to influencers. Actually, it's all about decisions that you make for yourself to express yourself. And I make the point in the book that it's, it's a very similar moment to the contagious spread of Art Nouveau in the 1890s because Art Nouveau basically coincided with exactly the point where photogravure was invented, which allowed you to reproduce photographs rather than line drawing. So suddenly, if you tricked up your salon in Art Nouveau style, which is obviously very, very, very photogenic, it meant that it could be re reproduced and, and all over the world within a month, which, which, which allowed, you know, folks in Nagasaki or Nebraska or Nantwich to all be, you know, soaking up uh, the opulent voluptuousness of Art Nouveau. Now, maximalism has spread obviously even faster because uh, the digital age is instantaneous. So the minute someone in crew paints their living room wall dark green and puts a pair of yellow curtains on it and puts it on social media and everybody likes it, is the moment that the pathogen then spreads uncontrollably um, via, uh, via the internet. I'm, I'm going to... Get a word in edgeways quickly. Um, what I think is is interesting about that is on the one hand, you know, your book is called More is More is More. And yet one of the things that I really notice about you from Changing Rooms originally yeah. and take two is that you really 
you you know you know the history of the design mm. you know about art nouveau you know where it came from you know about these designs so it seems to me that you bring a sort of rigor to it yeah so do you do you actually mean what you say that you can just chuck everything at it and it looks great or actually i think you risk it looking like a technicolor vomit there's it's harder than it looks isn't it is you yeah, i mean you are you are frisky in your presumption but you are right um <laughs> it is more complicated than it looks but to a large extent i mean in, in very much taking on board how changing rooms started i really want to capture people's imagination with the book which is called more 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 by the way there are no eases you're getting confused with siobhan's book bless her um but it is uh, it is it is I do make the point all the way through, actually, that I have a very, very personal take on maximalism, which I, I rather vainly called modern maximalism, which I feel is actually a lot to do with the, and rigour is a good word, rigorous curation of maximalism. And I do say that all the way through, that there is a very, very fine line between cat lady clutter and maximalism. And it's, it's the, the, the way I express it in the book is that you've got to have conversations with the objects you've got. If you are looking at something and it's not talking back to you, then it, it really needs to go, you know. And actually, for, for, for too long, I think for most people, they had objects in their home because they perceived them to be the sort of objects they should have because that's what L Decoration told them. Or that's what that bitch Sophie Robinson said, you know, <laughs> you know what she's like. Or they, they thought it made them look posh or international or something. Actually, your objects shouldn't say anything to anybody other than you. If you've got something because you think it's going to say something good about you to someone else, then it's a pointless object. Actually, it should be it should be this kind of avatar. It should be this kind of icon, this kind of totem in which you put all of you. It's, it's like a household god. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so, not, I mean it's you're, not... set, you're setting people up there with a really challenging task because what you're saying is in order to get it right, you've got to really know yourself. Nah. You say I'm not. <laughs> Because, because what I'm saying is that to get mine right, that's what right. you need to do. And the, the, the joy of maximalism, a couple of things about maximalism which are really good. For a start, the room is never finished. Um, this modernist, ridiculous convention that somehow you finished a room is absolute rubbish. Um, but also it is entirely organic um, and you keep moving it around. And again, this is why maximalism became so incredibly attractive under uh, lockdown, because people wanted stuff to do. So actually just moving your furniture around, um, you know, by Thursday afternoon, you were looking forward to Monday when you can move it around again. Yeah. Um, so actually it's, 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 a much, it's a much more real way of approaching where you live. Um, the 20th century was, I think, entirely artificial in, in creating this fiction that somehow there's a right way of doing it, there's a wrong way of doing it, that somehow, um, you know, it starts and it finishes. Um, actually, every you know, every householder up until that point knew that it just carried on, it carried on, it carried on. I mean, one of the big things that I, I'm very proud of in the book is, is I feel the, the total unmasking, the exposure of modernism as being a, essentially an incredibly misogynistic convention. It was very, very anti-women all the way through. Um, you know, to a large extent, it's anti-humanity. Um, but actually, it's very specifically tough on the um, female, you know, the immemorial female traditions of um, craft, of witchcraft, of baking, of home craft, all of these unbelievably powerful things that um, the matriarch used 
to center, to ground the home experience since the bloody beginning of us living in caves was totally removed from modern homes, modernist homes, um, from the Bauhaus, who I, of course I've rechristened the Bouhis because they are the <laughs> peace, but removed that kind of love from homes because actually all of that couldn't be made, that couldn't be crafted, that couldn't be done. It had to be bought, even if it was bought from a craft shop, but it had to be bought by professionals. And it was always these incredibly overbearing, uh, judgy men telling you what your home should be like to make it always better in, for you. Always in polo necks as well. Black but also necks. you're right, I mean, talking, I mean, when Charlotte Perry on- man breasts. <laughs> Moves. When Charlotte Perriam went to work for Corbusier, he immediately dismissed her and said, you can do the cushions. Yes. Didn't he? So, no, there was, but, yeah. okay. so this is, so I found this out about bloody Walter Gropius. So there he was saying, you know, we want the ladies as well. Obviously, there's a half to some very mannish haircuts. But we want the ladies in the Bauhaus. So the ladies turn up at the Bauhaus, but they're told that they can only design rugs yeah. and palmets. You know, which again to me is really funny because these are two these are two absolute staples of kind of traditional female craft. These were the things that you embroidered. These were the things that you designed up until that point. So all this whole kind of you know anti bourgeois stuff, actually, they say through the baby out with the bath bathwater. What the hell is wrong with bourgeois? Bourgeois rocks. Bourgeois is boho. Bourgeois is live and let live. Bourgeois is love. Bourgeois is having spaghetti bolognese, it's baking, it's Laura Ashley, it's all of the things that actually lead to a happy home. You know, modernism, the modernist, the minimalist, is about giving yourself a headache. It's about giving a space that you have to live up to. And actually, I don't think there's a good moment in modernism at all. I mean, one of the big things, uh, uh, you know, I try and assassinate is Scandi Chic. Um, this unbelievably crushing. I feel like saying um, one, two, three, go. <laughs> yes, I know. On your marks, get set. Come on, get but set, no, because I mean, I um, uh, uh, the thing that I can't bear about it is is this kind of wet cardboard presumption that it's somehow good taste. But you're sitting in front of a yes flat back yes. set of shelves. But I don't know what those if you're looking ever... at what's behind me, then I'm going to sack my tailor and my surgeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But again, I wanted to talk to you, to, leading on from your background, which for listeners is a is a sort of black and white floral wallpaper. Yeah, um, we got a neon sign, a neon sign, but it's quite it's quite monochrome. Um, and in the book, you say maximalism is effort. It's mm. deliberately making your life more complicated than it need be. It's mm. refusing, you say, to be cowed by the thought of practicality suitability yep. or doing the washing up and yes. and I love that but I want to ask you as we now interview you in what is a sort of slightly grayish background do you, do you ever wake up in the morning and go god I'm just a bit tired to be a maximalist I just go and sit in this little gray room you know is it the well, portrait of Dorian Gray literally yes. where you've got a safe gray space? no I mean listen you're you're you know you're right I mean you are absolutely right there are moments but I think everybody has those moments for a lot of people they want to go to a sort of an over lavish over opulent over gussied up boutique hotel to see how the other half live I'll go to a, a travel lodge. I am weirdly a lot more roundhead than I am cavalier. Inside beats a very kind of puritanical heart. I want things to be refined, but I do absolutely stand by this idea that that's me. And that sometimes 
I find that I am too rigorous. And it's such a good word that you use. But then that's what families are for. You know, I might have a Puritan heart, but, uh, you know, my, my entire family could not be more cavalier. They, they literally are the reincarnation of Spaniels, all of them. Um, and, you know, my wife is the most opulenza uh, glamour mamma mia that would never, ever, ever let anything get in the way of the big statement um, at home. And, and again, it's another big point that I make in the book. Home is about love, which means that and now I have, you know, ranks and ranks of grandchildren. That means that, you know, however carefully contrived I might be about an interior, now suddenly, again, I'm having to welcome in the plastic action figure, um, you know, and the noisy thing. But those are tokens of love. And in the book, I call them the kintsuguri that actually, you know, makes, you know, that, that they're, they are faults. They are aesthetic faults in a scheme. But they are gold. They are the thing that you do it for. And I think that this is the big thing about maximalism. It's about accepting it not being perfect, which minimalism and modernism never will. Modernism is the perpetual pursuit of over-control, of a space, of a life, of a way of living, which is completely and utterly impossible. It denies entropy. It denies the fact that things are going to grow old disgracefully. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. There's something sort of terribly sad, actually, about people having minimal homes. And Mm. that might be their taste. And I'm, you know, that that I don't have a problem with. But then having a baby and all the baby's toys are grey or those sort of those soft ball ponds, which have black and grey. Oh, no, the worst thing. The worst thing is a a modernist Christmas, you know, when they have, you know, they have everything just sort of like, you know, and we've all done it. Look, for goodness sake. We've all been employed in the past to do things like that. I mean, I can remember, I mean, I think at Sophie Robinson, you might have even commissioned me at Good Homes magazine to do a modernist Christmas. And it was it was in September and the children were still quite small. And they came back and saw this tree, which was very proto-Kelly Hoppen, with kind of jute bows on it and little tiny <laughs> kind of you know, hanging terracotta pots. And both of them burst into tears. And she said, tell me, that's not that a Christmas tree. <laughs> Christmas does not look like that. Okay, yeah, you know, you're kind of right. I love the fact that you've spawned a whole family of maximalism all the way yeah. down to the grandchildren. Oh, I think that's well, brilliant. Well, no, generations, generations. I mean, Albion, he's six now. I mean, we're, we're now already grooming him to take over the empire. You know, Dan runs the empire, Hermione runs the empire. We are literally, we are the Medici. Um, we are uh, all, well, maybe the Roy's. It's more succession, <laughs> succession with curtains. It's interesting that none of them have gone the opposite way. Way, way back when, when we did live house tours, we went to Pearl Lowe's house and she was showing us all around her yeah. big house in Somerset. And she said that one of her children, she'd said, it's your, one of her sons, it's your turn to do your room. And he said, please, mum, I've seen this really clever furniture and it's kind of flat pack and you build it yeah. yourself and it's really cool and I want some. And she was like, no. You can go to the Froome Vintage Shop, darling. You're not yes. having the flat pack furniture. But he's he's really gone the opposite that was way. His no, well, we do. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that we do. I mean, Hermione is particularly, you know, violent uh, uh, in her espousal <laughs> of that particular shop. 
Um, but getting less so now she's had a child. This again, this, I think it's a phase thing um, yeah. that actually, because I mean, ultimately, so it all boils down to a very straightforward idea, which is that are you controlling where you live or are you enjoying where you live? And if you're controlling where you live, then everything is put away. Everything is perfect. And, you know, you, you, you instantly start this, you know, rather um, depressing relationship with a space that is then going to start dis disintegrating almost immediately. If you're enjoying where you live, you're basically just letting it do what it what it feels like. And, you know, you leave stuff around, you know, 90% of which you then take away and put away. But then one thing you think, actually, that teacup looks really nice there. I'm going to keep that, you know, because there, it's all about associations. And I think this is one of the big things that I want to get across in the book is that, um, your home really does have to tell a story about you. It really does have to be um, a personal experience. If your room is telling a story about someone else, if your room is telling a story about uh, an interior designer or worse, a, a multiple retailer, um, then you're, you're, you've missed out on something. You know, you're really seriously missing out on something, particularly now, particularly as it looks like the planet's imploding. Um, you know, people feel very, very... Um, frightened about the um, the cold, hard world up the other side of the front door. Um, if that cold, hard world, it, you can you can escape from it. You can recharge yourself in the the warm, bosomy comfort comfort of a maximalist home. Then that's the perfect thing. What you don't want is to come home to a freaking office. So you're so you're sort of. I hesitate to say rules because I'm sure you would say there perhaps aren't any, but your your guidelines for it are that it's very much mm. look into your own song, see what you like. And if you like it and it speaks to you and it tells a bit of your story, then bring it in, yeah. stop it about and yeah. fill your house with it. Yeah. And I think just picking up on the this concept of more, more, more one could think, oh, that's expensive. I've got to buy mm. a lot of stuff. But actually with this philosophy that it's organic and you mm. build it up over time, you can you can also include lots of vintage second hand. Well, no, absolutely. And I think that this is another reason why it really took off with on, on social media. And it took off, it, it's really very propelled um, by, by a younger demographic. You know, you would have thought maximalism sounds like, you know, it sounds quite old and grand. And what's funny, because, the younger demographic actually call it granny call or you know yeah. cottage call. They use these terms very, very deliberately, but they're, they're very specific on two levels. One is, yes, the vintage thing is massive for them because they love the idea that they're not buying something new. Also, I mean, I think a lot of people are suddenly working out that the money you spend in a flat pack store, if you go to an antique shop or an antique market or you go on the internet or you look at eBay, you can spend that money and buy something twice the size, you know, three times the, the, the aesthetic impact. But I think one of the biggest, 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 biggest drives with younger maximalism is the dawning realization that they're not they're never going to be able to own a home that they could do something modernist too modernism is a very architectonic statement you are about taking out walls you're about making windows bigger you're about floor finishes and ceiling finishes and lighting they can't do that they're renting they can't do any of that so actually the impact comes from the furnishings and so suddenly the furnishings have to be really very much more expressive they might be able to get a bit of wallpaper they might be able to repaint but this is the other big explosion is is furnishings that they are involved in themselves the, the massive massive you know upholstery it's become so sexy for people the idea of finding an old incredibly comfortable chair um which they can then cover in a bit of emma shipley or a bit of house of hackney and you know they can get a bit of bobble fringe around it and it looks a bit crazy but it's it's their crazy 
it's crazy like them. Um, and I think, you know, back, back to what you were saying right at the outset, this idea that you have to, you know, maximalism is about effort. It's about effort because it's about expressing the fact that you are worth the effort. And one of the things I'm very pleased to do in the book, uh, which actually has had quite a big pickup, um, is to really properly get people to understand what the term over the top means, um, which is something that has plagued my career. As you can imagine. <laughs> oh, OTT. It's just like, thank you. Thank you so much for calling me that. I'm on the verge of tears for you calling me that because I know what that means, but you obviously don't. Because over the top is very, very straightforward. It was the, um, it was the first wave of soldiers that went over the top of the trench. So literally, it was the ones that were brave enough to take that step into the unknown, into potential certain death, into just, you know, the bravery of saying, right, you know, I am powerful enough to be able to do this, to be able to step off the cliff. And for someone to, you know, kind of pejoratively snarl at me that I'm OTT, I'm like, oh my God, I'm made up. I'm stoked. Oh, thank you very much. It's like the other one's flamboyant. Um, and to me, flamboyant again is very straightforward. It's a it's a, a very specific architectural term, late French Gothic, where you know Gothic arches were thought to be so intricately and beautifully carved they looked as if they were on fire. Um, hence the fact they were flamboyant. So calling me flamboyant means I'm a I'm a flaming arch. You're, You're on fire, baby. <laughs> on fire, <laughs> darling. You, you find yourself on Channel Four with change rooms coming back. And what I find exciting about this is you're bringing all this philosophy to a really mass audience mm. in a stable where there's been Kevin MacLeod and George mm. Clark and Sarah Beanie well, and all the architects. I mean, it, so it's, it's, really it's like sleeping with the bloody enemy. Yeah. Because yes, actually, you know, you know, it is, I mean, Channel 4, and but, but you know, I think it's quite a deliberate thing from Channel 4. They are very, because I've got this new one coming out in January. Well, that's what I want to ask. So what, what's next? Are you going to have more to sort of balance? Well, Outrageous story? Homes is literally the volume right up. It is people living in houses that have absolutely no relationship with the rest of the street, with perceptions of good or bad taste with property value they've just done what they want they've stuffed it full of taxidermy they've turned the living room into a fish tank i'm not there to snarl i'm not there to sneer um but what i am there to do is to then talk to them in great depth and i hope with an enormous sensitivity about why they've done this and and this is one of the big things that you know the commissioner's going crazy for because i think the thing is because all of these people know me they you know i've been i've been doing this for 25 years 26 27 years People feel that they know me well enough to then be terribly honest about mm. their motives. You know, why is your house full of taxidermy? Well, I'm fascinated by death. And you go, right, okay, well, let's talk about that because that is just incredible. You know, let's mm. let's be, you know, let's be that real about these kind of decisions. And I think there is this real new sense now of, I mean, nobody wants property anymore. You know, nobody, nobody cares. People, we're all dreading how much our places are worth. We want escapism. So on that note of, you know, I, I mean, we, we, we know where you stand on modernism. We have a section on the podcast where we, we sort of loosely talk about design crimes. So yeah. I'm interested as to whether you think actually, modernism aside, whether there are sort of small design crimes that, or even big ones, when it comes to the sort of interior touches. Where do you stand on fairy lights? Yes, no. Uh -huh. I, you know, I can't even be bothered to express an opinion. How's that? Perfect. How do you feel about cushions on the bed? Well, this is a very interesting psychological point. It's the last vestigial 
moment of irritation in the battle of the sexes generally speaking most gentlemen are very very anti-cushions on the bed because they i think they think that they're a kind of concealed man traps or something um but actually what they fail to understand is that the you know when when their lady love puts a cushion on the bed she's doing something extra she's doing something irritating pointless something high maintenance as a way of celebrating that bed it's a little bit of puja on the bed the bed is very important and it is important for her because she likes to have a nice sleep but actually the gentleman needs to get inside the psychology of that and rather than getting rid of all the bed uh, the cushions on the bed like he's a terrier digging a hole for a bone with everything kind of being thrown up behind he should start coming home from work with a cushion for the bed yes. with oh, a little offering yes he should gentlemen and it's amazing go. what you know thing all sorts of things might flower and flourish and it might not even be bath night if he starts doing that <laughs> um kitchen islands yay or nay um i mean the the kitchen island came in because everyone thought that they were making their own cookery show um, <laughs> so there's something i mean yeah it's about the theater it's about being able to you know address the family as you're cooking a lot of the time they don't actually work i mean i am constantly now trying to get clients to start looking at things like good old fashioned kitchen tables, because I think it's just a bit more practical. It means that you're not then stuffing a kitchen full of furniture to have a kitchen island and a breakfast bar and somewhere to eat. Have a table in the middle, that's how we always used to do it. Meanwhile, that's quite social to sit round and shell peas rather than have this sort of, you know, pedagogue kind of looking down on you, telling you how they're going to do their cooking. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, what I don't like is a peninsula. I think that's a bit irritating. Mm. But is that because it can't make its mind up? Basically, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if we've learned anything today, it's that Lawrence does know how to make his mind up. You're not going <laughs> to ask him about the beetle. Oh, yeah. You can clear up a row between us. Okay. So for uh, people uh, listening, um, yes. Kate has discovered an ornamental gold beetle hanging up in my downstairs loo, and she whinges about it I every time it. she comes to visit me, and she hates it. Just ask Lawrence, who we who we can all agree is the ultimate. Oh, maybe. I mean, I'm not so sure now. Let me tell you why the beetle is quite interesting. Um, it's because it's anti-beauty. You know, it's the moment where, you know, a, a householder decides that they're not going to buy into the traditional idea of pretty. Um, and it, it, the beetle uh, has a very long tradition as well. You know, the Victorians are very into it. It's about the uh, it's about the underside. It's about the skull beneath the skin. You could have a butterfly. You could have a dove. You could have something that everybody believes is a good thing, a pretty thing. But a beetle has a far, far more mixed reputation. Basically, beetles on the wall are middle class flamingos. Um, it's if you want to really, you know, sort of dial up the, the sophistication. But kitsch is an incredibly important part of what maximalism is, it is all about, because it's that celebration of the stuff that you've been told all the way through is tasteless and you've decided you're going to actually have it deliberately because you don't mind that mm -hmm. that actually you are making your own decisions and in fact I write a, a really quite breathless hymn to your auntie Rita as one of my heroines of maximalism um, and we all had an auntie Rita she used to turn up at the family party with too many buttons of her blouse undone but she was unbelievably good fun um, and her house was you know our mother's hate a clucked with derision at Rita's dusky maiden paintings and her leopard skin sofa and all of that kind of stuff. But actually, Rita knew um, about expressing personality. You know, she exuded personality, which is why our beige, good taste, middle-class mothers found it so unbelievably threatening. 
because there was Rita with her sexuality and her cocktail breath. Her jaw. Um, <laughs> and, you know, father with his little bristly moustache, um, you know, actually found it terribly fascinating. And I think that um, father most of the time felt he'd married the wrong sister. Um, <laughs> Rita kept the uh, kept the, the the vestal altar of maximalism alive right the way through the 20th century. She was not buying any Bauhaus crap whatsoever. <laughs> For I'm her, brilliant. it was the upholstered telephone seat and, you know, the pineapple ice bucket. Brilliant. And Lawrence, you know what? It pains me to have to start thinking about winding up this interview because I think we could go on all day long. But what I'm taking away from talking to you, all your pearls is... Be a bit more Rita. I think yeah. it's the new hashtag. Be more Rita. Be more Rita. Huge thanks to Lawrence. And don't forget to buy his book. I'll get the title right. More, more, more. And do come and tell us what you made of our chat over on Instagram, where I'm mad about the house. She's Sophie Robinson Interiors. And of course, there's also the good old Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast. And we will put the link to YouTube in the show notes. Thanks to our producers, Kate Taylor and Sarah Cadden of Feast Collective. And thanks so much to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors next week. Because we're weekly. Don't forget.